This is Taekwon Lewis. You're listening to Dash to the Draft on Sports Crunch. Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromelo. Yesterday, we just completed our journey through the AFC in our Dash to the Draft recap series, and today, we begin our journey through the NFC with a stop in the NFC East. This division saw a lot of big-time playmakers and high-upside defenders land there, but did anybody do enough to close the gap on the Eagles? Did the Eagles get even more dangerous long-term with any of their picks? Joining us to answer these questions and break down the 2018 draft classes of the Giants, Redskins, Cowboys, and Eagles is our good friend Cole Thompson of DraftWire.com. Great to have you back on the program, my friend. How are you, Cole? I'm doing good, Dave. It's good to be back on the show. Uh, It's nice to be talking NFL draft again. This is actually one of my favorite things to do is looking back at the players right as soon as rookie minicamps are going on. You kind of hear some things. It seems like every year we kind of see one or two players in those rookie minicamps get injured and they end their season before it really even begins. Uh, Luckily, we haven't heard any of that in the NFC East yet. So that's a very good sign moving forward. But this is a division that I think could be very difficult moving forward, even though the Eagles are still, in my opinion, the favorite to win the division as well as be a contender for the Super Bowl again in 2018. Don't sleep on the rest of these four teams. I think all of them could end up being at least in the conversation down the stretch for playoff contention. Oh, absolutely. And let's start off with the New York Giants. And as we know, uh, Dave Gettleman, the Giants general manager, said at the combine that he wanted the guy who he was going to pick at number two to be a Hall of Famer eventually. And he said... Uh, that that player was Saquon Barkley. And Saquon Barkley, yes, he's a very special talent, no doubt. But uh, there was kind of a quiet uh, division uh, on draft Twitter between actually how special he was. Some said he was the next Barry Sanders, others going as far to say, oh, he's the best running back prospect to enter the NFL since Jim Brown. And others were saying, no, he's just another Felix Jones at best uh, because he doesn't have adequate vision for the position, and he doesn't play as big as his size too often. In your view, is Saquon Barkley a special enough talent to warrant being selected with the number two overall pick, and do you see Hall of Fame potential in him like Dave Gettleman does? Look, here's the thing. The Giants were in a need for a quarterback for the long-term future, as well as other teams such as the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New England Patriots, and the Los Angeles Chargers. The changing of the guard is happening in the league coming in to 2018 and these teams could have drafted a quarterback but if Dave Gettleman was not sold on any one of the top quarterbacks including Sam Darnold from USC now with the New York uh, Jets uh, Josh Allen now with the Buffalo Bills Lamar Jackson now with the Baltimore Ravens I get the pick and a lot of people may not understand why you do this type of pick this is a running back who on the board fits every single bill to be a top level caliber running back for the future Off the board, however, this is a guy who is clean. His record is spotless. He is a well-known athlete. He's a student athlete. He's a scholar. He has a family now to worry about. He, uh, his, you know, him and his girlfriend kept under wraps the birth of his daughter until two days before the NFL draft. He's a father. He's going to be worried about those kind of things. When you have all those in mind, it makes sense to draft a position of need even though number two overall is very high for a running back. This is the first time we've seen a running back go this high since 2006 when Reggie Bush went that high, followed the year before by Ronnie Brown out of Auburn going to Miami. With that in mind, I love the pickup of Saquon Barkley to the Giants, but is he a generational back? 
Yes and no. What I saw in the film is this is a back who can do it all. He's able to run through the gaps. He has breakaway speed. He has good. He has decent vision to work upfield. He has the ability to be an effective pass blocker and pass catcher. The problem with it is he doesn't do anything perfect. And that's where I think the line is kind of drawn. When you see the power coming from a guy like Darius Geis, who we're going to get into later, or the speed on the outside to a guy like Naheem Hines, it makes sense like that. The thing is, Barkley doesn't have all of that. He has a little bit of everything. With that in mind, the biggest thing is I think we're hyping this guy up to be the next greatest running back of all time when we he, when he could very much be a very solid running back, but people will label him a bust because of what the media has talked him up to be. Now, do I like him in New York? Absolutely. Would I have been happier if New York traded down possibly to four or five or in that area and still get him? Absolutely. It makes total sense. At two, it's a little high, but he fits the bill, and I think that he could be an excellent running back. I'm not going to say he's going to be this world-class running back or a top five player in fantasy football as rookie year, but he is going to be a very valuable weapon to a, an offense that has valuable weapons already with Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, and Odell Beckham Jr. So I like the pick. I do. But I think that they could have gone a little differently, maybe traded back, and still gotten their guy. That's exactly my opinion on the Giants' selection of Saquon Barkley as well. And in round two, though, they got one of our favorite prospects in this draft in Will Hernandez. Yes, Will Hernandez, on paper, he's the typical Dave Gettleman hog molly, but there are questions as to how he fits Pat Shermer's uh, zone-heavy offensive scheme because most uh, of the draft community had him pegged as a fit for only uh, man-blocking schemes. How does Will Hernandez fit into Pat Shermer's zone scheme? I guess the biggest thing is how he's going to be able to hold his own in run blocking schemes more than ever. As a pass protector, he's great, and it's a great fit for Eli Manning. But in run schemes, that was where he did struggle a little bit. He didn't have the exact power that you wanted to be able to push guys and shove them deep down the field. He wasn't able to shuck his uh, his, his opponents uh, away from the play as much as he wanted to. But I still like this guy overall. When you look at the build, you look at the body, you look at the mass, he fits everything you want in an interior offensive lineman. And his overall power and size alone is going to have him probably overshadow most of his uh, defensive tackles that he'll be facing up in the 4-3 defenses he's probably going to go against. Because almost, I believe, every defense besides Washington's uh, in the NFC East will be a 4-3 this year, as including uh, excluding the Giants as well. But he's going to be able to play these more one-gap systems instead of going up against uh, these where he's going to have to do combo blocks. So I think with that in mind, that's going to be his main thing is working on combo blocks and being able to hold his own in zone and zone running schemes. But overall, this makes sense for a need. They lost Justin Pugh to the Arizona Cardinals this offseason. So it makes total sense for them to go out and go get a guy who could come in and easily become a day one starter. And when you have a running game and you have a good and you have a top level running back and an aging quarterback, and you didn't address the need until day three. It makes sense for you to go at least try and get the position. I thought he was the best player on the board at the time on my big board. He ranked, I think, number 12 overall or 13 overall on my overall big board when the draft season was said and done. I think it's a good fit for him. I'm not sure if he will be you know, the, the type of starter he would have been in a more so offense, maybe like Pittsburgh or a more so offense, uh, maybe even like Cleveland if you really want to. But I do think that he is a good guard and you can build around him and he's willing to learn. That's the biggest thing. What I, what I took away from Mobile is that he's willing to learn and he's got the high football IQ that you really want in a guard. I think he's going to be fine in New York. 
Yes, and another um, pressing need for the Giants to address in this draft class was that of pass rusher because they traded away Jason Pierre-Paul to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they need a new uh, main guy to rush the passer in new defensive coordinator James Betcher's uh, 3-4 scheme. And they must have been very happy that Lorenzo Carter, who was uh, receiving some late first or early second round talk uh, at times, uh, fell into their laps in the third round. And Lorenzo Carter, a lot of people told me, was that they feel like he was miscast in Georgia's defense as an off-ball linebacker and wasn't given the chance to rush the passer, which uh, they believe he will do a better job of doing in the NFL. Do you see Lorenzo Carter growing into that number one pass rush threat for the Giants that Jason Pierre-Paul used to be? As much as I like Warren Hernandez and Saquon Barkley, this was my favorite pick by the Giants overall. The biggest thing that I noticed from Lorenzo Carter was I thought there are some guys who can do it all. That's the main thing that when I look at in my notes, some guys can play that 3-4 outside linebacker or 4-3 defensive end. Some guys are limited to being in a 3-4 defense or 4-3 defense. I think Lorenzo Carter is a perfect edge rusher in a 3-4 defense, and that's really it. So he goes to a team where they're going to use him properly. I think that he has that nice bend that allows him to have the ability to keep his outside shoulder clear and win in pass rushing situations on -on one-on-one sets against offensive tackles. I think he has the power and drive to keep his inside shoulder free and allow him to push tackles and turn their bodies without giving up too much leverage on the outside. I think he has the agility to spin inside and use combo moves to be able to force uh, quarterbacks out of the pocket and put pressure on them. So I think it's a very good fit. James Betcher, I think, can use him very well. I see a lot of a Chandler Jones kind of situation that we saw in Arizona with a guy like Carter. He's got everything you really want in that agility size. The biggest thing is, is the production going to turn over? He was miscast, in my opinion, at um, at Georgia as well. But, you know, at some point, you, you got to use the defense that you can. I think in this 3-4 defense with Betcher, he's going to be able to be a more loose cannon, athletic type of off-ball linebacker, edge, edge rusher. And they're not going to use him as much in that coverage that he had to play at Georgia. So I think it's a very good fit for him. I'm very excited to see him play it. And I think that this is a guy who could end up being in that conversation, maybe later on as one of the rookies leading in sacks because of the position he's playing. He may be a rotational guy his first year. No one's saying that he'll be a star, but I do think he is in a very good spot with a very good defense and a very solid defense coordinator who can teach him exactly the ins and outs of being a stand-up edge rusher in a 3-4 defense. It's a very good fit for him. It's a very good fit for the Giants. And moving on from the Giants to the Washington Redskins, who in the first round filled a dire hole in their leaky run defense, which ranked uh, second to last, I believe, last year in uh, yards allowed per game. And that was the selection of Alabama defensive tackle Duran Payne. And Duran Payne is very interesting because he had some very poor tape uh, during the regular season, but he just turned it on in the championship game and the bowl game before that against Clemson. He was just an instrumental force on that Alabama defense the later we got into the season. But the division on Duran Payne was, aside from his inconsistencies, is was he worth a first-round pick? Is he only going to be like a two-down run stuffer? Or do you think he can become an every-down force because he has undeveloped upside as a pass rusher? Do you think Duran Payne can become a three-down force for the Redskins? Or do you think he'll just be limited to uh, run-stuffing duties? Look, the biggest thing with this is he's going to a defense that he's already very accustomed to. He played a zero technique a lot of the time at Alabama during his two-year stint as a starting uh, defensive tackle there. You know, as an Alabama alumni, I have to kind of understand that pick and see 
all the ins and outs of it. And I'm a lot harder on Alabama players because of I've been around them and I've seen the workouts and I've seen the practices that they go through. And I know the process that they go through. So the production did drop. But in those high tempo intensity games in games like the Iron Bowl in games like um, like I, uh, like like the game against Clemson, like against uh, Georgia in the national championship, doing all those things does pay off in your favor because of the sheer fact of the matter is you're going up against the highest level production on the highest stage. And that is why I think Washington took him. I do think that if Vita Veda was on the board at 13, he might've been the pick. But honestly, when you look at scheme formation, I think that this is a better fit for him than Vea would have been in Washington, even though Vea is probably a more polished version of it. Now, the biggest question is the production. I have seen him as an, as an established pass rusher, and he has dealt very much in trouble with dealing with combo blocks. And that is the thing that he's going to have to work on uh, at the next level. The one thing I will say is he has an experience working with Washington's line before because if he played on that same line with Jonathan Allen the year before, the 17th overall pick in the 2017 uh, NFL draft for the Washington Redskins. Pairing him back up with his former teammate who knows how to run stunts with him, who knows how to who knows how to coach with him, who knows kind of what are the negatives of his game and the transitions that he'll have to make early on is an excellent move by Washington. I wasn't thrilled with the pick because I had it as a late round one, early round two selection on my big board, but it fits a need that Washington has negatively addressed for multiple years. And I think he could end up being a solid player, at least as a, as a rotational two down back his first year, but pairing him up with Allen, I think is going to do wonders for his career. And if the two are able to remain healthy, number one and two on the same page, I think it could be a nice one, two punch on the left side in Washington. Oh, it most certainly could be. And I expect a massive improvement uh, for the Redskins in stopping the run this year should health cooperate with both Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. And in round two, the Redskins had to be ecstatic that Darius Geis fell all the way down the board right into their laps with the 59th overall pick, I believe. And Darius Geis was the second-best uh, running back behind Saquon Barkley in this draft, in my opinion. But uh, character concerns slid him massively down the board. Uh, there was like some reported visits with teams that didn't go so good and some unreported incidents at LSU that made him fall down the draft board. But uh, Jay Gruden recently said that he currently sees Darius Geis as just a first and second down back. However, many believe he has untapped potential as a receiver in the passing game. Like there was, I believe, a highlight in what was, I think, a high school all-star football game where he like ran a vertical route and uh, made a, a catch deep down the field. So do you think Darius Geis can grow into a productive pass catcher and become a three down back by as early as next year? I think within a few years he could be. Uh, it's a lot like a Le'Veon Bell situation where you didn't really know what he was going to be starting off his career, and then once he took off, he, he just kind of ran with it. This was my third favorite overall pick in the draft. I did a, I did a, a thread uh, right after the draft that Sunday, right after uh, getting off of work. I remember just going through it and listing my top ten favorite picks. Uh, I actually have this as my seventh favorite, but looking back, uh, behind probably the Roquan Smith pick to the Bears, and I think honestly – even going one step further, uh, the Isaiah Oliver picked at the Atlanta Falcons in round two. This is probably my third favorite pick. This is a guy who ranked 11th in my top 12 on my big board, 11th overall, second best back in my opinion. And teams pass on him twice who had running back needs, such as the Detroit Lions took a guy like Carrion Johnson, such as a team like Tampa Bay who took a guy like Ronald Jones. Yeah, maybe he doesn't fit. But what I do love is that 
even though this is a power back by the soul by the soul sense of what he does with his inside gap runs and his uh and hitting the a gap more so than not uh, this is a guy who can really kind of do a little bit of it all. He is a very good speed back. He has that breakaway speed that you want in the outf- in the uh, in the open field. He has the agility to make people miss uh, at the line of scrimmage. He has the ability to you know hit that first and second level of defense before actually turning on the burners and turning it upfield to go score that touchdown. This is a guy who, at the same time, had similar similar uh, similar situation to Leonard for his final year at LSU couldn't remain healthy on the field kind of wanted to build himself up to be ready for the NFL draft and we saw what Fournette could do when he got to Jacksonville I'm not saying it's gonna be the exact same thing in Washington but I do love this fit for Washington and the best thing about this is he's going to an established offensive line that's something that I don't think that Saquon Barkley is gonna have going into year one that's the thing Rashad Penny isn't gonna have going into year one that's something guys will have with experienced veterans in Sharif, in guys like Trent Williams, in guys such as Morgan Moses, on that offensive line. I am not going to be shocked if this is the guy who, when it's all said and done, even if Washington has a rough season, he is the leading NFC, leading rookie rusher and could be the offensive player of the year. He's that talented of a back, and he has all the potential to be not just a power back, but also a three-down back who can do a little bit of it all in the open field, short yard situations, turning it up in long distance plays, as well as being a pass catcher. This is a guy who should have been taken in the top 25 and is easily one of the biggest steals of the draft. I think going to a team like Washington that has established pieces on their offensive line to help him find early success is only going to build that confidence, build that drive, and make 31 other teams that pass on this guy from pass on the Bayou Bengal He's going to be a star in the NFL, I think, before it's all said and done. And I expect him to be one of the biggest names coming out of this draft class, making an early impact for his team. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised either if Darius Geis was the leading rookie rusher this year, especially with that offensive line in Washington and should health cooperate. Uh, I'd be almost shocked if it didn't happen, to be honest. But uh, moving on to the remainder of this Redskins draft class and a pick they made on day three that generated a, a lot of praise on Twitter when it was made was the pick of another former Alabama Crimson Tide, Sean Dion Hamilton, a linebacker. And when you look at their current uh, starting linebackers, uh, you got uh, Zach Brown, who has signed a pretty heavy contract this year, three-year contract, but he's uh, should be uh, safe for next year. But Mason Foster, their other starting linebacker, uh, he could be released and it won't cost a cent to release him next year. And I heard a lot of great things about Sean Deion Hamilton from some draft analyst friends of mine. And uh, you went to Alabama, so you're probably familiar with him. So would it surprise you? If Sean Dion Hamilton replaces Mason Foster in the Redskins starting lineup by next year, or if not sooner. By next year, for sure, I could see it happening. This is a guy who has all the intangibles and played for Alabama's defense as a two-year starter, pretty much, on and off, uh, of course, with Reuben Foster as well as Rashawn Evans. But he played that role very well uh, at Alabama, and he has that experience playing against top-level talent and pretty much almost all NFL-level talent every single week, unlike other guys from smaller schools. The biggest knock I have on him is his size. He stands at six foot. He isn't able really to put on a lot of weight. So I could see him being a little bit of a bigger money backer kind of linebacker situation. But, you know, a lot of people thought that Sewer Cravens was going to move inside the linebacker uh, when he first joined the team. I do like his cover skills. I think that he's a reliable tackler and he's able to read and have a high football IQ. He's able to uh, dissect plays very fast. He's able to play the run 
super well, and he's a reliable tackler. I mean, this is a guy who I think led came in second uh, in 2016, I believe, was the year. He came in second in tackles for the defense. I really think that he could be a nice fit. I think he's a very good 3-4 inside linebacker. He's going to a team that has that 3-4 defense. Um, I don't know exactly what his role will be, especially coming off of a torn ACL. Those are always tricky. You never really know how much you're going to rush someone back in. And I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't even play the first half of the season. But if he's able to make a name for himself on special teams and he's able to continue that kind of success he was having right before the start, uh, right before he tore his ACL this year in the Texas A&M game, this was a guy who ranked in my top 100 and ended up grading out in my top 100 when it was all said and done just because of the upside that he brings. I do think that he can be a quality starter in the NFL. And for a round three pickup, it's a great fit. And it's a great, great selection by Washington's uh, front office to get a guy for a need for the long-term future. But I'm not sure when we're going to see that happen. I think no matter what, he's got to make a name for himself on special teams. And then once he does that and he's starting to earn the trust of his defensive coordinator and of uh, Gruden, I definitely think this could be a very nice pickup, especially for uh, for a team that could lose a guy like Mason Foster without costing them a cent. It's going to be fascinating to watch Sean Deion Hamilton develop in Washington. And moving on right now to the Dallas Cowboys, who with their first pick in this draft at 19 overall, they decided to uh, give their defense a shot in the arm by taking the guy who they hope will be the next uh, leader of their defense, and that is Boise State linebacker Leighton Vanderesh. And Leighton Vanderesh is a great story. He uh, started playing a seven-on-seven football in high school and was, I believe, a walk-on at Boise State and was just thrust to the starting lineup last year. And then he uh, he just uh, took off and uh, stuffed the staff sheet and was a uh, dominant in every game, including that bowl game against Oregon. What does Leighton Vanderesh bring to the table that will help a young Cowboys defense take the next big step forward? Uh, you know, this was, this was a guy that I really wasn't that high on at first, but when I turn back on the tape, I understand why. First off, perfect size. I mean, when you, when you want a 4-3 uh, linebacker, this is a guy that kind of fits that bill. 6'4", 256, he's got good arm length, 33-inch 33 uh, inch arms, decent speed. Uh, he ran in the 4-6s at the, at the combine, uh, but then you actually got to look at the production that he put on. Uh, this is a guy who is very big, very athletic. Um, he's he has the ability, just as an athletic guy, he played two sports in high school. Um, but the biggest thing that I like about him is his hip movement. He's very loose. He's very uh, lackadaisical when coming out of his breaks. He's a sideline-to-sideline, rangy linebacker. He can kind of play it all. I think that they'll probably play him this year. Or if not sooner than later, he'll be the replacement for Sean Lee at the world linebacker position. Uh, he has good range. He's able to make good tackles. He's a nice wrap-up tackler, and he brings his feet on every single play. So having that in mind, that kind of helps you – you know, find a reliable tackling source. Uh, not just that, he's also very good in coverage. And the biggest thing with that is if you're going to lose out like the like the Cowboys did two years ago when they lost all their secondary starters, you're getting a guy who can probably kind of pick up that slack in the zone defense and kind of come in and be that rangy linebacker who's going to get you a pick or two or at least break out some passes on some tight ends. Uh, and he has the strength to, you know, take players and readjust their route patterns to make them immobile in coverage. So this is a very nice selection for the future. Uh, I do think that he will be a week one starter. Uh, I've been looking up some notes right now. I believe Dallas has him starting right now. Yeah, they're going to have him play actually the sandbacker with Jalen Smith moving back to the mic and uh, and uh, Sean Lee staying at that wheelbacker. 
But I think his home in the NFL is going to be a will sooner than later. I think Sean Lee might be coming down to the end of his career. And this is an excellent plug-and-play replacement for Lee. We can see what we can, we'll can. we see what we're going to get out of Van Der Esch starting year one. But where they took him and how he fits, I think he fits better in a 4-3 defense than a 3-4. So I like to pick up. I do. Uh, yes, I like that pick as well, but you could argue their second-round pick was even better because they strengthened the heart and soul of their team, the offensive line, by taking one of your favorite players in this draft, uh, Connor Williams, the offensive tackle from Texas. But the Cowboys have him pegged as the starting left guard where he will uh, stabilize that situation since the departure of Ronald Leary uh, last year. Uh, do you like Connor Williams better at right tackle for the Cowboys, or do you think he'll thrive just as much, if not more, at left guard in their scheme? The biggest thing is I trust Brandon Thorne. Uh, you should check him out at Veteran Scout. He's a guy who covers offensive linemen like crazy. And Michael Peterson at L.A. Chargers lately, uh, both those guys, uh, I, I talk to a lot about their offensive line, and I'm not going to lie. If they say something, I'm going to listen. And both have said that he probably fits better at a left guard. This is a guy who doesn't have that arm length that you want for a tackle, but he has excellent pass protection. He's a decent run blocker. He has good size, and he has the mobility to move players out of the way. Not just hold his own block, but physically move them out of the way. Good speed plays a big part in it as well. And if they're going to move him inside the guard, what they're saying is that his speed is so well that he's going to be able to play a lot faster and be a lead blocker for Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott in the running game. But also his ability to succeed in pass protection is only going to make Prescott an even better quarterback and help with his adjustment to the NFL in year three. I personally thought Prescott took a year, took a step back last year compared to what you saw from other quarterbacks who have been drafted in his same draft class, as well as the next generation, such as Deshaun Watson coming up as well as Mitchell Trubisky. So this is going to be a big year for Prescott. Getting a guy like Williams, who, in my opinion, was the best pass protection tackle in the class, playing guard on the inside, it's only going to do wonders for him. And if Brandon Thorne says this is a guy who's probably going to end up being an all-pro left guard, you know that he could probably be a decent right tackle. But if Collins continues to show that same success that he showed at the end of the 2017 season, because he struggled at first at right tackle, but he kind of figured it out by the end of the season, this is back to being the number one offensive line in the league, in my opinion, you have Zach Martin, you have Travis Frederick, you have a top three tackle. Uh, some consider the top tackle in the league and Tyron Smith and Collins is starting to figure it out at that right tackle position. They were missing a guard. They got a guy. They're going to have a healthy Ezekiel Elliott back with the loss of Des Bryant and still trying to figure out what the heck is going on with their receiving core. You're going to rely a lot on Elliott and Prescott to use their legs more than anything else. I think it's a great fit. This was my, this is a top five overall favorite pick for me in this entire draft. And Connor Williams is staying home in his hometown of Texas. He's going to be a cowboy, the team he grew up rooting for. He even wore the colors blue at the draft because of he kind of had that feeling that he might end up going to the Cowboys. It's a great story. He's battled adversity. He's battled bullies. And he's going to use that anger to lead his team to success. I could see this being a very good, a very good addition to the Cowboys offense. And especially with them wondering what will be happening with their passing game. This is a must-need right now. Oh, it, it most certainly is. And I think uh, the value of receivers at that point uh, in round two wasn't uh, 
was too rich, so they did the smart thing by strengthening the straight there team, which will only help Dak Prescott find whoever's open even more. But they still tried to uh, help Dak Prescott by adding more pass catchers to their stable. And uh, Michael Gallup, wide receiver from Colorado State, who we saw at the Senior Bowl. Dalton Schultz, a tight end from Stanford. And another guy we saw at the Senior Bowl, Boise State wide receiver Cedric Wilson. Which of those three that the guys that the Cowboys drafted should the Cowboys be most excited about long-term? Long-term is a tough question, man, because I really don't know right now with Dalton Schultz might be the might be the favorite pickup because of what they don't have is a is a is a is a full down three down tight end. With Jason Wint retiring and head to the Monday Night Football booth, you're gonna need to find that tight end. Uh, Jeff Swain kind of did a little bit the year before. Blake Jarwin did a little bit the year before. Enrico Gathers is a guy who was the Baylor center in basketball, kind of trying to do that transition that Julius Thomas and Antonio Gates have done in the past. But we still have yet to see him play in an NFL legitimate game. We've seen him play in preseason, and he's shown a lot of success. So maybe not that. But if we're going to talk immediate need, Michael Gallup, I think, fits that bill. Yes, he's a little undersized. He only stands 6'1". But when I saw him at the Combine, uh, when I saw him at the Combine and when I saw him in the Senior Bowl, and especially when I saw him play at um, at Colorado State, this there's a reason he finished in the top voting for the Fred Bolitnikoff Award because of the ability that he has to turn plays up the field after the catch. This is a guy who really caught almost everything thrown his way. He has solid hands, uh, adequate footwork overall, nothing special, but he is able to make people miss. He's good in one-on-one coverage, and he's a physical dude. That's the biggest thing that I'm going to take away from him. He's a physical He's a physical guy who loves contact, loves uh, hitting people in the mouth, loves kind of making cornerbacks work against him. So he comes in as Probably the day one replacement for Des Bryant. Maybe that's not going to be his end game. He might end up being the long-term replacement for a guy like Alan Hearns, who might only be there for a year, as well as Terrence Williams. But I think that both him and Cedric Wilson both have the ability to be quality players and not just deaf players on teams. So I think both of them could end up being great additions to the team. But as of now, Gallup, I think, brings the most to a team uh, with his ability to score uh, with yards after the catch, as well as be that physical receiver that's going to test cornerbacks on how well they can play in man coverage. It's going to be fascinating to see how that pass-catchy core works out uh, this season and beyond for the Cowboys. And moving on to the defending NFC East champions, the defending NFC champions, and the defending Super Bowl champions. Uh, I'm trying to turn into David Akers here. The Philadelphia Eagles and the draft was being held outside of Dallas. And with the first pick in the 2018 NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles added another weapon to their offense named Dallas, as in Dallas Goddard, the tight end from South Dakota State. And I really like this pick for the Eagles because uh, Trey Burton was a very underrated part of their offense last year. Uh, Zach Ertz uh, missed the game, but when he came in, the offense didn't miss a beat. And he obviously threw the touchdown pass on the now infamous Philly special play and they needed to replace it. They got rid of Brett Selleck as well, but they signed Richard Rodgers to a one-year deal, and I think he will essentially replace Brent Selleck as that inline tight end in that offense, but they needed another move tight end to go along with Zach Ertz, and that is Dallas Goddard. Is there anything you see in Dallas Goddard's game that makes him a potential upgrade from Trey Burton the moment he steps onto that football field? I think maybe just the sheer fact that he is a legitimate NFL tight end and kind of had that experience going into college. If you forget, Burton was a quarterback back 
uh, for most of his career at Florida before switching over to tight end and making that adjustment to the NFL, which is why he was able to make that pass and probably have one of the better accuracy throws because of he is a former quarterback turned tight end. This is a guy who is who is a legitimate tight end and has been on radars for teams for the last two years. He was the leading tight end receiving uh, in the FBS in 2016, and I believe he finished second in 2017. Uh, this is a guy who come who's going to come in and at least be a flex tight end, probably more of your H-back set. He can do a little bit of blocking, but he's very well known for his hands and his route running skills. This is a guy who's going to win those one-on-one coverages. He's a guy who's going to play well in in man coverage. And not just that, he's also going to be able to be an excellent route runner. I'm not sure we're going to see him be maybe this major tight end uh, touchdown machine that people want. But if you're looking for a guy in a third down situation, I think that Ertz is the best, is one of the better tight ends in the league. But learning from him, is going to be a major uh, asset for Goddard's game. And I think he, he does actually bring an upgrade because if he is a full-fledged tight end than Burton was. So I love the pick. I think it's a very nice selection. And with uh, Richard Rodgers really being just a base in-line blocking tight end, he kind of fits that middle ground that what Ertz doesn't have and what uh, Rodgers doesn't have. He kind of can do a little bit of both and find some success there as that H-back as well as maybe that maybe split tight end kind of style. Oh, yeah. And do you expect him making a healthy impact right off the bat this year? I mean, I still think it's Zach Ertz's team and it's his position to lose. But I do expect them, because they do run some double tight end sets, him to be the main guy, uh, especially when it's a passing play, for sure. I expect him to at least be involved. I know he's dealing; he's been dealing with some injuries throughout the entire offseason, so maybe they'll ease him in. But I do expect him to make some, make some splash and some noise pretty early on in the 2018 season. Yes, so um, do not uh, put Dallas Goddard that high on your fantasy draft boards, uh, ladies and gentlemen. And the Eagles uh, only had four more selections in this draft, and one of those selections on day two that received uh, some praise from a good friend of mine was their selection of Avanti Maddox, the cornerback uh, from Pittsburgh. And an underrated player on their defense last year was Patrick Robinson, who manned that slot corner position brilliantly uh, for them, and they really tried hard to resign him, but uh, he wound up uh, signing with the New Orleans Saints, the team that originally drafted him back in 2010. And the Eagles, uh, they have a lot of potential candidates to take over that uh, slot corner job. But Avante Maddox, uh, as this this other friend of mine said, uh, he going to the Eagles was the absolute perfect fit for both sides. So how realistic is it to expect Avante Maddox to be in serious contention for the starting slot corner duties this season in Philadelphia? I mean, the biggest thing that you're going to take away from this is that Avante Maddox is a slot cornerback in the NFL. He's not one of those guys who can probably play a little bit of both, kind of play in that nickel formation, play you know, play on the outside when need be. You can move him inside when has to be. He's just a straight-up slot nickel corner. You're going to use him in that position and only that position. The issue with it is that Jalen Mills, in my opinion, might be the odd man out when you're looking at this because I do think he showed tons of production and tons of success last last year building up from a seventh round pick now kind of really establishing himself as a main guy but you have Sidney Jones a fully healthy Sidney Jones kind of making that leap and he is a perfect outside cornerback in Philadelphia's defense uh, and then you, you also have Ronald Darby and Ronald Darby isn't a contract year and he might be looking for a new team in 2019 but as of now he showed enough to where I think he could be a guy uh, moving forward as still one of the lead backs. You also have to look at uh, Rasul Douglas, the third round pick uh, for the 2017 draft to pair up with Sidney Jones. He showed excellent success early on, uh, especially on the outside for the Philadelphia Eagles in 2017. 
So with that in mind, I'm really not sure where you go with this, but they're in. That's a good. That's a good sign when you have five cornerbacks who can kind of battle it out for three spots, and two of them kind of being the rotational guy. You're in a very good spot right now, but I'm not sure. I think Maddox might be the odd man out. He might have to make his name on special teams, kind of play that nickel dime formation, uh, that six defensive back set that Philadelphia will run from time to time. That's where he's going to have to start earning his his reps. But I think by the end of the 2018 season and for sure the start of the 2019 season, we could see Maddox probably be your ideal cornerback uh, three in uh, Doug Peterson's defense for sure. And if James Schwartz is still there, who I don't think will be, I think that next year he could be headed out for a head coaching job very soon, uh, especially if he uh, has that same success that he had this year. This is a team that I think is in a very good spot moving forward. Uh, and, and I think that Maddox kind of fits that bill that you want in that nickel nickel slot corner. He is Cole Thompson, ladies and gentlemen, of DraftWire.com. Follow him on Twitter at Mr. Cole Thompson. And Cole, thank you so much once again for donating time out of your busy schedule to our program. But before we let you go here, we'd like to play a little game called Overreaction, Not an Overreaction. And in this game, I will say something about a prospect that we haven't addressed. And this prospect was obviously drafted by one of these uh, four NFC East teams. And your job is to tell me whether it's an overreaction or not an overreaction, in your opinion. Starting with the Giants. Kyle Lawletta will grow into Eli Manning's long-term successor. It's an overreaction right now because of, I'm not sure that the NFL is ready for a guy like Lawletta. I'm not sure that the Giants fans are ready for a guy like Lawletta. I actually like Lawletta. I think he's a very solid game-managing quarterback. Unfortunately, the NFL is not a, is not a division anymore where you can have game-managing quarterbacks to find immediate success. I do think that he could be a Kirk Cousins-type situation, come in, uh, be a guy who carries a team. I think he can even be a guy who takes the Giants to the playoffs. But I don't think that the NFL media is ready for a guy like Lawletta to be a game-managing quarterback. They want that generational quarterback instead. I personally like the fit. I think that he's a good fit, especially in New York, learning from a guy like Eli Manning, uh, who has experience in those big time games. But I'm going to say that if he doesn't at least take over the reins this year and the Giants are struggling and picking in the top 10 again next year, you can expect them to draft a quarterback early on. Oh, they most certainly will if that does indeed happen. And now moving on to the Redskins. Trey Quinn, Mr. Irrelevant in the 2018 NFL Draft, will be the Redskins' new starting slot receiver if Jamison Crowder heads elsewhere in free agency next March. Next year, it's not an overreaction. It's an underreaction, in my opinion, uh, going on next year. This is a guy who I think is easily going to make the 53-man roster. I think everything that he does uh, screams perfect slot receiver. I think that he has great route-writing skills and the ability to catch the ball and turn it up the field. Uh, all those play a major part in his success. But overall, this is a guy who I think is honestly was the best wide receiver at SMU this past year, including second round pick Cortland Sutton. I do think that he is a guy who is probably limited to the slot. But if Jamison Crowder does hit the free agent market, I would be with uh, the, the main reason would be because of the success that Quinn had this year in Washington. And even if he's not the starting slot receiver in Washington next year, I do think he will make enough of a praise to where Washington could possibly trade him to a team that's in need of a slot receiver, kind of like Dallas did with Brian Switzer to Oakland this year, and kind of have that same similar situation to gain traction and gain a few draft picks along the way. I do expect Trey Quinn, though, to be a household name in Washington or wherever he winds up in the near future just because of what he's able to do with the ball after the catch. 
Moving on to the Cowboys. Bo Scarborough from your Alabama Crimson Tide will win the Cowboys backup running back job this summer. I don't think that's an overreaction at all. I think that's a perfect reaction right now. Alfred Morris hasn't really done anything to prove that I think that he's going to be a full-time NFL back or even a third down back in the situation. He may also want to go elsewhere. Uh, and then you have Ezekiel Elliott who's dealing with, who's dealt with injuries in the past. Not just that, he also is all seem to never be on the right side of the law. And with that in mind, you kind of have to worry about the situations. Bo Scarborough battled injuries throughout his entire career at Alabama. But when he was on the field, he was a dynamic runner who just bullied guys into the ground. And that's what you probably want in your secondary back, a guy who can get those short yardage situations and make a play. He's got to remain healthy in in, in, uh, in training camp as well as in the preseason. But if he can remain healthy, this was a very, very good pick by Dallas on day three. And I expect him to be an immediate contributor for the Dallas offense, as well as po- probably be the number two back in the Lone Star State sooner than later. Oh, especially as a short yardage back and in goal line situations, Bo Scarborough would be the perfect guy to give Ezekiel Elliott a breather. And last but not least with the Eagles, and this could be a major steal, Josh Sweat, if health permits, will be a major part of the Eagles' four-man defensive end rotation this year and notch two to five sacks. Uh, I'm not going to say it's an overreaction. I think that's a fair reaction, It's, but it's not also an underreaction because of this is a guy who had who had battled multiple injuries and battled a very serious lower leg injury that possibly could have put his career completely in jeopardy. I get why people thought he could be a first-round pick, but I do think that going to that 4-3 defense is going to do wonders for him. He's also going to learn from veteran guys who have dealt with injuries in the past, such as Chris Long, uh, such as Michael Bennett. Uh, e- even you can throw in a guy like Fletcher Cox who's dealt with injuries like this before. Where he fits is probably on that weak side of the defensive line. He's probably going to be a, uh, more so of a run stopper than he will an edge, an edge rusher. But I do like the fit. I do like the play. And two to five sacks is not really that high of a number. And if he's able to come in year one and be an easy, a, a day one kind of contributor, even as a rotational guy, I can at least see him notching three sacks by the end of the year. I don't think that he will be a starting guy for the next year, and maybe not even in 2019 either. But this is a guy who has plenty of upside and has great speed to win off the edge. I do think that he could be a very nice addition to the Philadelphia Eagles front seven. Cole Thompson, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you once again for coming on, and we hope to have you back on once again in the very, very near future. Thanks for having me on again, Dave. You're very welcome, Cole. Thank you. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch with D. Crom. But we'll be back later this week with a recap of the NFC North draft classes, so stay tuned. Be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with AK. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Cole Thompson, especially since there's never an off-season for talking football. For Cole Thompson, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome. 